0: G'day, and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM.
1: Yep, g'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie pastor. Welcome to our inaugural program. Actually, when I say inaugural, I mean the first program ever that we've done live on Faith FM. And it's a privilege to be here. I've done a lot of live programs online, even to television, but never to radio. Hunty? Hey, mate. He's our producer-director. Do I call you producer-director? Sounds good. Or is it just producer on radio? I don't know, for radio. (laughs) Either way, I'm happy, happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm glad to have you here too because we can't do the program without you. Hey, tell me this. Are you a news hound like me? Oh, I do like a bit of news. How do you
2: catch your news? Yeah, don't want to have to admit this, but I do like to get my news visually, so television.
1: You're still watching
2: time-shifted television.
1: Really? So yep. you're watching Channel 9, Channel Channel 7. 9. Yep. Channel 9. That's the one. Wow. Well, I I haven't even got a television, so I don't get my news on television. You know how I do it. How do you get your now, news? I might be older than you, but I get my news online. You're going to say print media? No, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't brought a, I haven't bought a newspaper in years. Can you even still buy one? <laughs> I think you can. There you, you go. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking, I'm checking the news out today, and there's, there's some big stuff going on in the world at the moment, isn't mm, there? There is. I mean, if you look at the news today, what is the big thing that's just overwhelming every, whether you're online, television, print media, what's just overwhelming everything? Mm, what color is the skin of the baby to be? It's awesome. Mm. It's sobering, actually. Sobering. Right? Yeah. To think that, that live before the world, a family could disintegrate like that. Mm. It's, uh, it's very, very sad.
2: So for those of you who have not guessed, we're talking about Meghan Markle's soon-to-be-born baby.
1: Well, more than that, we're talking about the marriage of Megan and Harry and how their relationship with the Queen and the rest of the family over there has exploded. And the unfortunate thing is they've done it in front of the whole world. Mm. And it is a very traumatizing thing. And and I think really what it is, is just a little snapshot, a window in what is happening in a lot of families out there as they struggle in their relationships with each other. Indeed. In fact it, it reminds me why it's so important to have Jesus in your life. Even at, at at that level with the family, Jesus is able to to come in and settle things and calm things and, and help people to get on and it is it's an unfolding tragedy. When I when I, I haven't watched it to be honest, have you? No, and I, I heard Ray Hadley this morning say his wife watched it last night and he said that's two hours, she'll not get back. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I'd be that harsh But, but I, I haven't watched it I've just, I've just read about it and, and seen a few news clips I, I just think it's very sad And again, how we need Jesus in our families Amen. We need Jesus Amen. Um, A couple of other things This Christian Porter thing Oh, man, that's bad It's, it's exploded, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think
2: it's, it's great that the world is waking up now And we're saying this kind of sexual behaviour is
1: abhorrent Which is what the Bible's been saying for years well, it is. It, it's inexcusable when you see these sorts of things happening in families. Again, it's in families, mostly in families. But this happened when he was, what, 17, 16, she's 17. 16, yep. and he's off with on a party one night, and, and things seem to have... Well, we don't know, do we? No. But what we do know is you're right. Whether it's within the family situation or whether it's outside uh, in friends, this sort of behaviour, the whole world is, is rebelling against yeah. it. And then, of course, the other thing I noticed is COVID-19. Yeah It's not going away They say America's about to go into a fourth wave I read that today Mm. Which is uh, the most virulent, dangerous strain yet And well, we get so so blessed here in
2: New South Wales to be celebrating 50 days COVID-free
1: Yeah, yeah Uh, In fact, Greece, I noticed that Greece today Today, Mark, it was a terrible anniversary 100,000 people dead Wow In the little country of Greece That's such a tragedy so although we live here in Australia and everything's safe And it's pretty bad out there And you know what Jesus said And I I think about this every single time I look at the news Jesus said when you see these things happening Know I am almost here This song that I'm about to play One of my favourite songs of all time You know Andre Crouch? Yep, I do Yeah, he's a he's a singer, songwriter He actually died, he was a pastor a year or two back This song, which is one of my favourites I think has to be up as one of the greatest all-time Christian songs ever Thanks, Hunty No auntie. worries I heard the story
3: of Jesus sounded like music in my ear beautiful story of jesus dispel my doubts and all my fears The world is longing to know wonderful story of Jesus. I'll take it wherever I go tell of his love. boy and girl Oh, it's not just a story
1: Introduce to you Harold Harker. He is a friend of mine. I've known him for many, many years and he's got an interesting, he's had an interesting life, an interesting background. He's been an administrator, a pastor, a historian. I like that about Harold Harker. He's a very, very, very good historian. He's a father, husband, a grandfather. I just found out today he's a great grandfather. He was once my boss and a very affable boss. He was too. And he's a high end Tour Guide. Welcome, Harold. Thank you, Lloyd. It's great to think back of the time
4: you were with us. We had a fantastic
1: time. Well, that, that's where we're going in this story, isn't it? Because I think about 25 years, it was a long time ago, Harold. We were in Europe with uh, about 30 different people and you were leading a tour. we have been right through Europe and we'd ended up in Scotland down the southwest end, I think, of Scotland at a place called Wigtown. Do you remember it?
4: Yeah, Wigtown on the Solway Forth there. It's a great story and a fantastic place to visit.
1: Well, that's the story we're going to now of two girls. But before we even go there, set the scene. What is Wigtown like, or what was it like when this story occurred in 1685?
4: Well, it would have been a very small village on the air. They would have been fishermen, and uh, there's hills behind it. And it's as you say, it's in the southwest. But it's uh, a great place to visit, and it's got the markers of this story right up on the hill about it. Come and visit Wigtown any time you can, and you'll always
1: enjoy it. So this is a story of three girls, really, and two of them were murdered. It's a sad story, yet it's one of those stories which has been bringing inspiration to people for hundreds of years. Uh, The two girls, Margaret Wilson and agnes wilson was sisters and then an older lady margaret mclaughlin tell us a bit about the three characters in this story okay
4: Uh, this was the time of what we call covenators the uh, covenators were formerly called presbyterians and each church managed its own affairs but the king was saying no you've got to have your bishop to tell you what to do and the the the, the Scottish people said, "No, we won't," so and this, they signed this was the the king covenant. Of, this was the
1: king of England was telling all of England and yes. Scotland, "Hey, you've got to let the bishop organize, rule, and govern the church."
4: Yeah, 80 years ago, the king of Scotland, James the Sixth, became the king of England over it all, and okay. they were now saying, "You've got to worship like we do in England." and have the bishop control you and the Scots says no way and they signed a covenant and that was to be true to God and his word, the Bible and these two, Margaret and the sister, were covenanters, they wanted to study the Bible where they wanted and they couldn't under the new laws from the king
1: So would this have been the the, say, what we know as the Anglican Church in England and perhaps the Presbyterian Church in Scotland is that how this was unpacking yep
4: that's how it unpacks and the the Scots wanted their freedom to control their church and the king said no the bishops will and the bishops are subject to me
1: so this was control was the was the Presbyterian Church back there biblically a more pure church than the Anglican Church
4: uh Well, they just had John Knox, and that's not a great story, who'd said, give me Scotland or I die, and he brought the Reformation and brought the truth from the Bible to Scotland at that time, and these are the descendants that came after, after John Knox.
1: Okay, tell us about Margaret Wilson, Margaret McLaughlin, and Agnes Wilson. Tell us the story. Uh,
4: Okay, well, let's start with the Wilson family. The the children of Gilbert Wilson decided they wanted to study the Bible. And the only way you could study the Bible was to go out on the moors and the isolated places to a little gathering called a Conventicle of people who loved the Bible. And Margaret and her sister, Agnes, went out. And the authorities came to their father and said, your children are covenanters. You can't keep them in the home. Toss them out. And they went to the hills. So Margaret, then, was,
1: Margaret was 18, and how old was Agnes? Agnes was just 13. Oh, boy. And his two girls out in the moors on their own, sleeping
4: there. And they got hungry, and they came back into weak town trying to sneak in and they came to the home of margaret mclaughlin who would help the covenators and they she gave them food and that was illegal and the three of them get caught do we know how they got caught well, the soldiers there were out to, to uh, arrest any and every Covenanter they could and put them in jail and sometimes, many times, kill them because between 1680 and 1685 it was called the killing times. Mm. And the king told them, go and kill those who want to worship their own
1: way. So Margaret, the older lady, Margaret um, McLaughlin, McLaughlin, whose house they went to, she was a, possibly not a covenanter or we're not sure, or she was sympathetic? Well, at
4: least a very sympathiser with them to, to help supply them with food and so on.
1: So they, all three of them, a 13-year-old girl and an 18-year-old girl, and we think Margaret McLaughlin was how old, 63? She was 63, yes. Almost a grandmotherly figure to them. They all got arrested. What happens then?
4: Well then they all got thrown into the local jail. It was called the, uh, the thieves hole. It's in the main street of Wigtown in what's called the old toll booth. And here they're tossed in this place, probably in the stocks and they're waiting their trial at the local court when it comes to their size.
1: Did the trial, were they in jail long before the trial came about? Do we know that? Oh,
4: we don't know exactly how long. And it wouldn't have been too long because they wanted to to make them an example to other covenators, you see.
1: Now, there's an interesting side story here for Agnes, a 13-year-old. Tell us about that.
4: Well, once they were convicted... You see, they were convicted to be tied to a stake and drowned as the tide came in. And the father said, I've got to save my girls. And he went from Whigtown right up to Edinburgh and pleaded at the with the Privy Council for their lives. And he was told it's 500 Scots pounds for one.
1: Wow, that's a lot of money today.
4: It was a year's work. Yeah. It's all the money he could get, yep. but that only got one of them free. So he could, he actually paid for
1: Agnes to come out of
4: jail? Yes. Yes, he did. But he didn't have money for, for Margaret, and so he chose the younger one, mm. and Margaret then is left
1: to die. So what happens? You've got the two Margarets in prison. What happens to yeah. them? Well... They were when the time
4: came on this eleventh uh, of May. A band of soldiers on horses would have taken them from the the uh, jail, the old berth in the middle of the street, down the hill, and out onto the flats where the river was. It's the Black knot River that flows in the Solway uh, Sea there, and they would. They were um, told that the older lady, Margaret McLaughlin, would be tied to a stake further out so she's going to drown first and hopefully Margaret Wilson then will renounce her covenant of faith and be set free.
1: Wow, wow, wow. So, so what, they've, what they've done is they said, Margaret McLaughlin, you're going to die no matter what happens, you're done. So we're going yeah. to tie you out. And the tide's going to take you out first. Hopefully as you die in agony and in pain and in fear, it has an impact on this 18-year-old girl and she renounce, she can, we're giving her a second chance, she can renounce her faith.
4: Yes, that's what they hope would happen.
1: So what happened?
4: Well, They took them down, they put these two great stakes right into the, into the, and tied each lady to it, the older one down, the Margaret Wilson, and in a way so she would be facing Margaret McLaughlin, and then the waves came in, the sea, the tide came in, and the water rose and rose until it was around Margaret McLaughlin's head, and then as it's coming over her, she's actually, they, push her head under so she'll oh. drown, tied to the stake.
1: Very violent death. Oh, terrible. What sort of an impact did that have on Margaret Wilson, the young girl?
4: Well, they were hoping that Margaret would see this other lady dying by being drowned and she would say, okay, let me go. And they came to her and they asked her to give up her faith. They gave her the option. And, and then... She, she just started singing the Psalms and quoting from the Bible and saying until the water came up to her neck.
1: Wow. And she drowned.
4: Now. Now then when the last moment came to Margaret Wilson, she was just starting to choke on the salt water and she was asked to pray for the King. And she said, I can pray for the King, but I will not uh give up my faith in the covenant I refuse to give that up and then she was asked to renounce her faith and she said I will not I am one of Christ's children let me go but it wasn't good enough for the accusers and then they forcibly put her head under the waves until she dies it's, it's a terrible
1: story and yet it's a glorious one isn't it
4: well, here is the faith of two people who know what Jesus means to them and they say, we're his children and we'll never give up on Jesus or being his children. We're going to be faithful to him.
1: Well, if we look at the end of this story, um, were they just left on stakes or were they buried or, or what, was, what was their future? Now they're dead well,
4: after the tide would have gone out or they would have pulled the stakes out, they took the two bodies and the two of them are buried in the churchyard in Wigtown. And probably a hundred or so years later, someone put a nice gravestone with the story of the two Margaret's there in the churchyard at Wigtown.
1: Are they buried the together, story, next to each other?
4: Yeah, next to each other, the two Margaret's of Wigtown.
1: I feel quite emotional about that. One day we'll see Jesus come and those two girls will be raised up young, both young. Um, Amen. These are the sorts of stories I I reckon will be in the library of heaven and we'll recount them throughout eternity, stories of great faith. Can can I ask you one last, well, two last questions? One, if you go there today other than the grey side, is there anything to remind us of this incredible story of faith?
4: Yes, you go for the graves, there's three places particularly connected with these two Margaret's, there's the place down now on the silted up flats where they were martyred, mm-hmm. there's the graveyard of the church where their tombstone is, but then you can go to the main street and see the old toll booth where they were locked up before they were martyred down on the river. course, Above that, you go up on the top of the hill, drive up. It's quite a drive around, but it's a high place. And there's a great monument there to these mar- these two Margarets, a stone pillar. And that tells you this obelisk pays tribute to these martyrs of Wigtown who gave their life for their faith in Jesus Christ.
1: Wonderful, wonderful story. Um, finally, why do you think they stood why would they, especially the young Margaret, look, I'm 57, so I, I get the 63 thing. If I often, often say to our producer, director here, Huntie, I said, well, if we were to die now, we couldn't really complain because God has given us a, a good life, right, Hunty? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we don't have any complaints, but at 18, just starting your life, what do you think it was, as we conclude this incredible story, that gave the two Margarets the strength and the courage and the will to die rather than give up their faith. What do you think it actually was?
4: I think if you have met Jesus, if you've heard about him, know what he's done for you, how he's given you eternal life, and you say, I want that and this is the most important thing, and these two Margarets made that decision to put Jesus first because of what he had done for them. As the Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. They knew the love of Jesus, and this is what gave them the courage and the strength just to stand even though they were forced down and they knew they would be dying, but their choice was, I'll stay with Jesus more than anything else.
1: It's a beautiful, beautiful story, very inspiring, and thank you, Harold Harker, for coming and sharing that story with us today and I hope in the future we'll hear a lot more from you and a lot more inspiring stories. God
0: bless you. See you next time.
4: We've got plenty. Look forward to talking again.
0: God bless. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
1: You know, I often wonder, what was it? What inspired over 50 million people like those two Margaret's? In the Middle Ages, they call it the Dark Ages, to give their lives for Christ Mm. rather than live. Yeah, I wonder. She was 18, that young girl. Such strong faith. I I get the 63 one. You know, she's lived her life, but at 18 years of age, um, unbelievable. You know what I think it is, hunty? What's that? It's a man on the cross who died for our sins. Yep. And once you get a hold of that message, it's stronger than the desire for life itself. It gets inside of you. It will not go away. It changes everything when you see the man on the cross. And this next song from Michael Card. He's a U.S. singer songwriter. He's actually a DJ too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the man on the cross. It's a beautiful song.
5: Bless the
6: of what you'd come to give to drink for us
1: Absolutely beautiful. You know, um, I was thinking about those two girls again while that song was Mm, being played. Me too. And it is true. And I I, I know I'm kind of going back over myself here, but there's no doubt that when you meet Jesus Christ and he comes into your heart and he forgives you of sins like he has me, and I know you've been down the same road, Hunty, Mm. and you see him pick you up over and over and his gentleness on your wounded, broken soul and heart it inspires you to do things that you would never do, doesn't it? That's right. Now, I don't know whether I'd make a real good um, martyr, mm-hmm. to be honest. Me either. No, but I think you can do extraordinary things when Jesus is inside of you and the Holy Spirit's got a part of you. And that's something that the world doesn't understand. Mm. And those guys that put those two girls to death, they would never be able to understand what was going on there. Mm. No. And an 18-year-old girl with a whole life ahead of her, would rather die than give up a Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful Pray story. Mm. And that's a powerful, powerful song about a Jesus who died and arose. And we do it's a cliche we often you know, we're good at cliches, but we do serve a risen saviour. Amen. Changing subjects. Yes. Two thousand fifteen was a big year for me. That was a special year for us. Well in two thousand fourteen actually, right at the end I got married to Lizka. That's right. So I had two years. I was there. You were. There wasn't many there either. That's right. I was very I was very honoured to be part of the inner family circle. Well, you are part of the inner family circle, brother. Thank you, mate. But, but uh, So I got married, but it wasn't the only big thing that happened, because really just a month or two later, mm. the beginning of 2015, March, what happened? We started a brand new church plant called New Hope. Yes, it was. Out in the northwestern suburbs of Sydney. Sydney. yep, Quakers Hill. Quakers Hill. Mm. So we end up in a, a university, we, we hired a university Beautiful, hall. beautiful lecture hall. It was a little beauty actually, wasn't it? Mm. I think it seated about 150. Yep. So we get ready for the first day, the first Sabbath. We're, I was more nervous on that first Sabbath than any other time wow. in my entire life. Wow. More nervous than I was coming on radio today. I was a bit nervous too. Yeah, because what are you thinking?
2: Is anybody. Well, I remember we talked we said it's just going to be, you know, both of us and our
1: partners. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we were prepared for that too. We had steeled ourselves if no one yes, had turned up. But do you remember right. how many people turned up on the uh, day? We flooded the place. I reckon it's seated 150, over 200 yep. people yep. turned up. Praise the Lord. It was incredible. We were all crammed in. And you know what? I had to go down with my wife for the first time in my life. And I did it for six <laughs> months or more after this Sabbath. Saturday, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. had yep. to go down and teach the little kids. We grouped them together in cradle roll, kindergarten and primary. Actually, you, you must have had some sort of a sense that people were going to come. Yeah, maybe my wife more than me. Really? Tell us. She... Cooked enough food that day so that when church concluded, she fed two hundred
2: people. You know, I saw her bringing the food in, and I thought, "All oh, this food, and there's going to be just the four of us."
1: <laughs> Well, we were wondering whether we had enough and we started that's to right. see the people yep, turn that's up. That's true. And we, true. We, we wondered actually whether we'd have enough food, but I think God might have worked the miracle of the, what was it, the five loaves? loaves, loaves, loaves on a, and three the, fishes. Yeah, two, fish two fishes. <laughs> two, <laughs> two fishes. Inflation. Two Two fishes. And we just had the most wonderful day. And it's beginning of a great adventure at New Hope. We've been there six years. Six years. Yep. We kind of minus last year, COVID-19, because... Yeah. I think we would have only met a couple of times. Like most churchgoers, whether you're Adventists or not, I don't think many of us got to go to church last year much. Yep. Um, so, so we've probably been around, we'll say going into our sixth year. Mm-hmm.
2: We're no longer at Quakers Hill. No, we, we soon outgrew the small venue at Quakers Hill into the large venue, which sent it about 400, I think. And then we outgrew that. 300, wasn't it? Then we outgrew that, and now we're in the most beautiful Christian facility. You know, three, five,
1: seven, Windsor Road, Vineyard. That's right. You, you know why Hunty says 400 instead of 300? Because he's been working with the <laughs> Evangelism. From, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> upping the numbers. Um, <laughs> I love it. But, but this church we're in now, it actually literally does seat 900 mm. yep. people. Yep. It is the most beautiful worship venue I think I've ever been Worshipping in, and mm. we are very, very, very blessed. Very blessed. We're still in the middle of COVID nineteen because it's got nine hundred seats. We can socially distance. We have room for plenty of people.
2: We can legally take it four square meters. We can legally take four hundred and twenty.
1: Yeah, a lot of people. Mm. And I think we have my Sabbath one hundred and fifty. Yep, I think we were close on two hundred last week. Yeah, well, last Sabbath was a special one because we had a baptism. True. Whenever you have a baptism, it's special, isn't it? It is. So if you're in North West Sydney, this is what I'd say to you, if you're in North West Sydney, we would love to see you come and visit us at New Hope. But if, if you can't come, you can catch us online. That's right. We're we're a live streaming broadcast church. Yeah, but it goes down to more than that. Yeah, look, North North uh, uh North. New Hope is in North West Sydney, but people listening to this radio programme are all over Australia. Hey, Look up your local Seventh-day Adventist church. If you come to our church at New Hope, you are going to get a warm welcome. There's singing. Yep. There's Bible study. Yep, fellowship. There's preaching. We have a fabulous children's Sabbath school program right through to the youth. We are hoping and praying we can keep the fellowship lunches going. But you'll get a warm welcome. But in most churches, well, not most, all, let's, let's be positive, all churches, from one end of the country to the other, you're going to get a warm welcome. Amen. So if you've never been to an Adventist church before, why not think about it, and then more than think about it, this Saturday, most churches start at 9.30. We start at 10 o'clock. Let's not confuse them. We're happy for you to turn up at 9.30. That's right. That's right. Go to your local church. You might be surprised at what a blessing you'll get.
0: You're listening to the Aussie Pastor Here on Faith FM
1: This next song we're going to play Is all about the mission of the church To hold the light of Jesus Christ High and lifted up So the world can see him in all his beauty
5: Brightly beams our Father's mercy from His light house evermore. But to us, He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning Send a gleam across the way Some poor faith Ting, struggling seamen You may rescue, you may save
1: To our program, Ross and I actually go back to the days of school, high school together. But our paths have diverged. Welcome, Ross, to the program.
7: Thanks for the invitation.
1: Great to be with you. Yeah. Uh, now, listen. Um, I'm a pastor. You're no You're not a pastor. You went and we went to school together. I think we went to year. Well, I don't think I know. We went to year twelve together. Uh, yeah, that's right. Our lives kind of took a different turn after that. Where did you go, and what do you do today?
7: Well, mine tracked down the, uh, the science and research route, and so uh, I became a uh, clinical biochemist, medical scientist, and uh, um, ultimately uh, graduate studies PhD in uh, particularly neurochemistry. Uh, so, I've got a particular interest in uh, in how the body works, and I guess broadly how how lifestyle affects it. Uh, but particularly the central nervous system, or particularly
1: the brain. So tell us just one more time, so I can get that. I'm just a simple pastor. What what are you actually? What do you call what you do? You're a
7: yeah. Well, probably best definition is a
1: biochemical pharmacologist. Wow. And and where do you work? What sort of work do you do? When you've got those degrees and that sort of education, what sort of work do you actually do?
7: Okay, so we have uh, a research centre at at one of our major private hospitals here in Sydney, at the Sydney Adventist Hospital. So I head up the Australasian Research Institute, and we've got a a really dedicated, excellent uh, research team there.
1: Okay, and how long have you been doing that for?
7: Ah, wow. Well, I guess you don't mind. I mean, we're we're the same age, but... um,
1: I'm, I'm uh, laughing probably. a little, I'm laughing a little when I say that because uh, as I keep telling our audience, I'm actually in my 30th year of ministry, which is a bit scary, but, and you're right, yeah. we went to school together, so I can ask you that question. Yeah,
7: yeah, you can. And, and so, you know, my time in, uh, Inactive, uh, research is, is getting pretty close to the same.
1: Mm. Now, I've actually brought you on, I, ho- I hope we can get you on the program a bit, actually, but I brought you on today specifically to speak about one particular, to share your knowledge on one, in one particular area. Now, I, I'm a YouTuber, and what I mean by that, I actually don't do a lot of YouTube, although we do have, um, I've got my producer, director, Hunty, we do have a, a YouTube channel there somewhere, but, I'm on YouTube all the time and I watch this this particular program of a young couple that are travelling around the world and every morning they wake up and the first thing this young husband does for his wife is he goes and brews her a nice, fresh, hot coffee. I can almost smell the coffee through the computer screen. I don't want to speak specifically about coffee right now. I want to go even... To a higher level, I guess, and ask you a simple question to start this off: Is caffeine, which is in coffee, of course, is caffeine good for you?
7: Yeah, look, that's a great question, Lord. And then if I can go back to just your uh, uh, just your comments about the young couple, uh, one of the reasons why he and his wife are going to enjoy having that coffee in the morning is because of the effects of caffeine. Now the smell of coffee. I mean, I love it. Lots of people love it. The taste of it is actually is a flavour that I like as well. But if it were just those two, you wouldn't be drawn to it as much, you know, as as uh, as what most people are. And there is a real need for people to get up in the morning and have their have their coffee, uh, or at least whatever other caffeinated beverage they've got. And the, the reason for that is the caffeine. And so the reason the, the question then is. Is caffeine good for you? What's it actually doing? Well, there's a couple of positives to it. And again, just going back, that's why we like it in the morning or people mm. around the world like it in the morning. Uh, and that is because the caffeine itself is a, is a is a stimulant in one sense in that it actually gets you, it makes you feel, gives you a little high, gives you some of that little bit of extra dopamine and a and mm. uh, little bit of serotonin as well. So you actually physically neurochemically the brain actually feels a little bit high. Mm. Uh, It does a couple of other things as well, but they're one of the main things. It also gives you a little uh, kind of like a stress hormone boost so you feel like you sort of get up and get into stuff. So people like it for that reason. And I don't know how much detail you want to get into, but I'll wait for you to ask me that question. Well,
1: actually, I was thinking as you were giving me that answer, I'm actually not a big caffeine drinker. I never have been, um, Dr. Ross, Uh even as a young fellow when we were hanging about. I never drank caffeinated, caffeinated drinks. But when I am going to, say, visit my parents, we both come from Brisbane, so when I'm going up to Brisbane, where you're from too, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going, say, at night, I will have a Coca-Cola, a full-strength Coke. Yes. And I tell you what, I, I buzz. Yes. I'm awake. If I am awake. If I don't have that Coke... I'm just going to fall asleep the whole way up there, you know what I mean? But as soon as I have that Coke, I just feel, and as I say, I'm not a caffeine drinker, but it really, I really take a hit from it. I'm awake, I'm alive, I feel good, and I can go for six or seven hours like that. Is that that the caffeine, and is that a good thing that's going on in my body?
7: It's absolutely the caffeine, and this is one of the reasons why people will do it, and they'll do it if they've had a... Uh, you know, a late night and, uh, um, you know, it, it happens within particularly hospitals where uh, you've got more any 24-hour shift type uh, premise where people might not have got the sleep they, they need and so they're taking the caffeine to keep awake. And you'll certainly do that when you drive and, yes, you'll feel awake. And the reason why it does that is it actually blocks a very important uh, uh, little signaling molecule in the brain and in the rest of the body, actually, called uh, the adenosine receptor. Mm -hmm. And there's a very important reason why the body has that. When you start to run out of energy, this molecule called adenosine starts to build up. And it's a a bit of a fail-safe for the body. Mm -hmm. And it just says to the body, well, hey, you're running out of energy, you need to slow down. Let's uh, get some more blood in here, let's get some more nutrients, have a rest. So it really, it literally starts to put the brain to sleep have a rest until we can actually get this all topped up for you. Now, when you take a caffeinated beverage, whether it's a Coke or a Red Bull or whether or not it's a coffee or tea, all of these, the caffeine in there is going to block that receptor. And it's a bit like putting a hand over the petrol line.
1: So I'm I'm, I'm actually still tired as I'm travelling up there.
7: Absolutely. And so what that means is is that even though you're awake, you are actually low in energy and what it means is you don't make very good decision making uh, mm. decisions when you've actually got that happening because the blood flow that normally is there or wants to increase the energy within that part of the brain is actually been uh, been shut down and so it's one of the reasons why and you know in the bad old days with the truck drivers uh, yeah. Allowed to drive whenever they like. I mean, they were staying awake on, on things like, uh, you know, caffeinated pills and things like that. But they could make some very bad decisions and cost people a lot of lives. And unfortunately it still does, even, you know, in, in, as I was saying, a range of different circumstances, including being on the road and some of the professional pursuits so where they use it. If, if
1: I'm a, if I drink Coke all the time, so I'm a re- Actually, I used to when I was a builder. A terrible thing, man. I was drinking two litres a day. When I actually mm. went off it, um, when I went to Avondale, I actually went through withdrawal. But if I'm drinking like that all the time and then I, I, I go on a trip from Sydney to Brisbane and I have my Coke, will I get a hit or has my body become used to it and it's of no use anymore?
7: Okay, well, that's important because what happens is that when you are doing it as a regular user, the body becomes what's called habituated to it. So the drug caffeine is in there and it's, as I said, blocking the adenosine receptor. So what the body does is go, oh, I really, it recognises that it really should be reacting to something. So eventually what it does do is increase the number of those receptors per cell. So now you become super sensitive to caffeine, or sorry, super sensitive to adenosine, and you actually need the caffeine in order to just feel normal. Wow. So you you don't necessarily get as big a high, but what happens if you don't have it, you're super sensitive to tiredness, you're super sensitive, and that's why people get these headaches if they don't have their coffee in the morning because now the adenosine is high, it actually causes what's called vasodilation, but the blood vessel to dilate, and that dilation within parts of the brain actually makes you feel it's one of the headaches that people can get for which caffeine actually blocks those or stops those so it's not actually giving you anything and this is probably another comment I wouldn't mind making Mm. the the caffeine is not actually giving you anything all it's doing is blocking something and so you feel as if you're okay but in fact you haven't got it's not getting any more energy the body can't use the caffeine for making energy or anything like that it's still using up whatever is left there it's just that the normal fail-safe that normal safety if you Mm. like Mm. switch has been blocked Mm. and so you just think it's okay
1: so what could happen to me if i was doing that all the time i could actually end up drinking more cokes or more coffees or whatever your caffeinated drink of choice is more red bulls just to feel normal is that a, a fair comment
4: that's a fair
7: comment and that's that's really what happens with somebody who is habituated to it and some people are more affected than others um but uh it's it's uh it's unfortunately the the common outcome and as we say it's it's not actually doesn't improve anything um,
1: is that why people down. is that why people are having double shots and triple shots of caffeine in their their coffee because they need bigger and bigger hits
7: yeah i think it is um, because they want to sort of get back to that uh, or oh, you know I, I really did feel so good with that or i feel much better if i have more of that And the more they do that, the more, unfortunately, the body adapts to try and sort of bring it back to an equilibrium. Um, If people are only having one coffee a day, it's probably, you know, that's that's probably not going to do much at all. Yep. But uh, by the time they start getting up to, uh, you know, three and four, uh, then it really is having a... uh, It's a drug-like effect. I mean, the caffeine itself is is a drug, and it will continue to have an effect on the way the brain functions, and the way the cells... Um, respond to each other and communicate.
1: What about these um, these ideas I hear coming through the news online in the media that coffee helps Alzheimer's, dementia, um, some of these illnesses? Is that actually true or are we just getting a message from the great big coffee industry?
7: Yeah, look, it's an interesting one and I'm not sure who motivates it except that, of course, you know, we know that it is and, and that's what the fascinating thing is, is that coffee is the second most traded commodity uh, in the world as a result of its its caffeine hit and the way it affects people. Um, so there's a lot of vested interest in, in uh, caffeinated beverages, uh, not the least of which vested interest from people who enjoy having it. Mm. So where it comes from, I don't know. But look, the, one of the things that we do know, is uh, that if people are having regular use of, of uh, a caffeinated beverage uh like coffee that it does reduce their risk of developing the neurodegenerative disease called Parkinson's. Okay. So Parkinson's disease is one of the common ones. Alzheimer's Alzheimer's being the most common uh as a as a degenerative dementia but Parkinson's the one where people often will get that tremor what they call mm-hmm. a parkinsonian tremor. Uh now there's specific um pathways that are dying more so in Parkinson's even than Alzheimer's, particularly in the later stages. So there's some reasons why in science we, we kind of are beginning to get a bit of a handle on why blocking adenosine receptors in those, particularly what they call my tract, mm. might actually work. Mm. But when you try and overlay that and say, well, it's probably good for people with Alzheimer's or even other types of dementia, uh, it, the, the evidence is much less so. And okay. in fact, yeah, the, the a very late recent, uh, what they call meta-analysis, which is a review of all the reviews which review all the research. Mm. So there's thousands of different, uh, thousands of patients in there. And essentially the conclusion is that it doesn't actually have an effect or the vast majority of studies don't show any effect of caffeine at all. So
1: it's not uh, really it's, helping.
7: It's not really helping. And the only, there was four studies that actually did show that in people with Alzheimer's, that it did seem to produce an improvement. But that improvement was really only in what they call attentional measures or measures that are associated with just, in a sense, being able to do something uh, reactive, not one that actually uses the brain okay. to think and certainly not memory. So it's uh, it's a little bit like uh, having something that makes you feel awake, as we know coffee does, mm. but nothing that actually improves the way we think. Okay. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I have a 14 year old son. He's in high school. Uh, I think he's pretty intelligent. He actually is mm-hmm. top of the class. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> Ross. Mm-hmm. <Okay. laughs> um, he is forever begging me to get him a Coke. What's your oh. view of kids? And caffeine, caffeinated drinks, whether it be a Coke or a Red Bull or a Pepsi or a, even a coffee. Watch, watch it. And I asked that because I noticed the other day when I went to my son's school, I couldn't believe it actually. Here's a coffee van. Out the front and I asked him about it and he said, Oh, the year 11 and the year 12 kids are allowed to, to buy coffee with the teachers. So there's a van there, man, in this fairly yeah. small, uh, school. And, and, I, and, I, and so how should I react to my son when he's asking, um, for money to, to go to that van and buy a, a coffee or, or to, to buy a drink of, coffee? man, this, this guy is, he just wants to drink Coke and Pepsi. And yet we've never done it. Just shows you how good their marketing is, doesn't it? What, yeah. what's your view as a sign? uh yeah to the caffeine in young people
7: yeah look that's a great question and a particularly pertinent one for, for now because as you say the the society's acceptance of of the use of caffeine amongst uh younger and younger uh people is 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 a concern it is a concern to me because of of a couple of reasons the first one is that there's a couple of when when uh, children are developing their brain develops from the back to the front. So those frontal lobes, those parts at the front of the brain, which is the parts that you want those children to develop really uh, solid synaptic connections. You want them to make really really good ones, uh, and that doesn't develop until quite late. So okay. it's, it's being wired last. Yep. And during adolescence, it's the second. There's a there's a two uh, times within uh, uh, the brain development that you get what's called a synaptic explosion. One is during just after birth and the other one is during the adolescent stage. Mm-hmm. And so this is where the brain's trying to choose the right kind of pathways, wire it up in a way which is going to be able to understand things, make good decisions. Mm. All of those frontal lobe activities link it through to the limbic system, the path where it's all emotional. Mm. And so there's really a lot of wiring going on there. What we do know is uh, that when people take caffeine, there was a study done back in 2015, uh, by a group looking at blood flow to the frontal lobe when you take, uh, caffeinated beverages. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious that you, as soon as you take the caffeine within half an hour, you'll get a reduction in blood flow through to the frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. Now, broadly speaking, that's not a good thing because you need the blood in order to provide the nutrients which provides the, the, uh, the all of the chemicals that's needed in order for the brain to develop and, and get the oxygen and everything that it needs to form well. So in the first instance, that's not a positive thing. So that may affect some of the quality of the wiring. The second thing, unfortunately, is that it also stimulates what we call the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. A big word for saying the stress response.
2: Okay. Yep. And
7: stress, yeah. And stress itself is, uh, is not positive for being able to do that necessary wiring, so it may affect that. Okay. And the third thing is, which is also very important for, again, wiring up the brain and allowing the brain also to be able to process information and consolidate memories, and that's sleep. Mm. So, caffeine within a young, naive brain, particularly any time after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, particularly, but I would argue almost Mm. any time of the day, but it can have an effect on the way the the uh that child will then be able to sleep. And it has been shown, there is research that shows that it actually reduces the amount of uh, time that the child spends in what's called slow-wave sleep, which is that really important part of the sleep which allows the brain to do lots of clever things. Wow. And it it actually is quite active during that period, but it reduces that within adolescence. So um, I think for a lot of good reasons, children should not be exposed. Uh, to caffeine or any other drink or sorry, any other drug that might affect the brain for as long as possible.
1: So I should, I should, uh, be resisting the pleas of my son to participate in these sort of activities, drinking this stuff. You're talking about sleep. Can coffee impact because sleep deprivation is a huge thing in our culture? Amongst, I, I come across people all the time who're struggling to sleep. Yes. Is coffee or caffeine having an impact on that? Do you think?
7: Absolutely. I think the caffeinated beverages again. Any time you have it in the afternoon, particularly after three o'clock. Okay. Uh, any of the caffeinated beverages, it's it's a well established link with. Uh, an increase in anxiety, increase in stress, and reduced um, uh, reduced ability to to uh, stay in in a in a nice well to go into the sleep cycles, the normal yeah. sleep cycles that the body does.
1: That actually amazes me when I go into a service station, you know, to fill the car up at night, and you see a young guy. <laughs> go in and come out with a four-pack of Red Bull and you think, oh, mate, yeah. you're, not, you're not sleeping tonight. Look, last question, a simple one to end up with. Uh, you're a scientist. You're a research scientist. You've done a lot of work in this area. People listening, would you advise them to abstain from coffee, to drink it in a limited way, or just drink it however you want? What would be your advice as we close this little interview today?
7: Look, my broad advice would be definitely uh, stay away from uh, from caffeine. I don't think it's a major. Uh, I don't think it's a positive contributor broadly uh, overall to
1: health. Uh, so so the positives, the positives don't overweigh the negatives. That's what you're saying.
7: No, and I think there's other ways of being able to get those positives. And unfortunately, the positive you get, you pay for with, I think, a, a larger number of of negatives. Mm, mm. Um, So the balance sheet, I don't think, works in a positive in caffeine's favour, Um, and it's just a shame we don't have more opportunity with the audience to be able to ring in to be able to sort of clarify some of those sort
1: of uh, questions. I think we might do that in the next little while if you're available. We'll open it up to the audience and we'll open it up to questions, and we'll we'll see what they uh, um, can come up with because it is a you know such a huge part of our culture, isn't it? Um, It is.
7: Yeah, yeah. And it's become more
1: important as time's gone on. I, I know I said that was the last question, but as Hunty said, that's my producer here, I change my mind all the time. I have one more. Uh, is that okay, Hunty? <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's him in the background there. Um, if I wanted to give up caffeinated drinks, coffee, Red Bull, um, Pepsi, whatever, Yeah. Yeah. what's your advice? How do you do it?
7: Well, it depends on the personality. and depends on what are the... Um, what are the triggers so for some people it's very sociable yep uh and for other people they might feel really quite addicted not everybody and i shouldn't call it addiction uh it it uh it can't be classified strictly as as an addiction okay um, but it it will be classified as a dependence yep uh so if you're particularly dependent on it if the, it it you can get off at the quickest uh if you just go cold turkey okay and within three days, sometimes up to five days, you should be completely free. Uh, however, other people find it, particularly if their habits been bad and over a long period of time, uh, they can start substituting. If they've been on six a day, they drop it down to four, mm-hmm. and then they drop it down to two, mm-hmm. and then they drop it down to, to none. Uh, and you can substitute, certainly, if, if the trigger is the smell and the aroma and the just going about it, you can substitute. There are some good quality um, decaffeinated
1: versions. Uh, Someone said it, to you, me the decaffeinated versions are worse than the caffeinated. Is that true, or is that another? Firfy?
7: Oh look, it's a bit of an urban myth. That one. Um, uh, I mean, they're all roasted. So if you're looking at any of the oxidised products that are in there, um, and there are different techniques for which they extract mm-hmm. the caffeine out, but uh, you know the the uh, the negatives associated with that um are essentially a uh, miniscule
1: from what I'm hearing from you just don't drink caffeine or partake in caffeinated beverages
7: it's a better it's a better place to start um, I remember a colleague of mine once once making a comment about the fact that he had to get up in the morning and have a very strong cup of coffee for which then remained this uh, black liquid for the rest of the day and mm. was trying to tell me that that's what I should be doing I said, well I get up in the morning and I have a glass of water and I feel great um, and I'm not addicted to something or at least I'm not dependent on something throughout the day.
1: Well good (laughs) advice that's good advice (laughs) well next time we stop at the service station and fill up with fuel and Hunty, my producer director goes in to buy his uh, dare his dare coffee milk I'll pull this interview out and I'll replay it on the (laughs) 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 Thank you, Dr. Ross Grant. I wish we had more time. Such a fascinating subject, but hopefully we can get you back soon and we can continue to look at our bodies and our health and uh, how we can live better
0: lives. All right. Thank you, Lloyd. God bless you, brother. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
1: So here's the question, hunty. Mm -hmm. Are you persuaded? Next time we stop (laughs) at the service (laughs) station to buy fuel and you go in to pay for it, I always like it when you're going in to pay for it, will you come out with an iced chocolate instead of an iced dare double shot coffee? The flesh is weak, Lloyd, the flesh (laughs) is weak,
2: but I would like to say now after hearing that that yeah, I, I will probably try and not do that.
1: Well, you know what? I'm going to watch you very carefully. No, don't watch. <laughs> and if I see you if I see you drinking coffee from here on in, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, dear. I'm going to bring Dr. Ross Grant <laughs> back onto this program <laughs> to talk to us more about coffee. <laughs> oh, it's not just about coffee. It's caffeinated drinks. It's caffeine full-size. It's interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, he's amazing. And challenging for us in our culture. We're, we're coffee and Coke and, you know, especially with the young people. Red Bull's oh, such yeah. a big energy, deal. The energy drinks that are just crammed. Full of caffeine yeah, and Garana. Yeah So mm. um, oh, Man the challenges we have Yep Look um, This next song It's a Gloria and Bill Gaither song Now I, I knew Ross Grant I've known him from the time I was 15 The particular artist here I don't know whether you have uh, Ever heard of Anna Beden. No Well the first time I met Anna Beden. She was about three months old. Wow. I was a pastor, a young pastor. Now, she's still a young woman. I was a young man back then. She's a young pastor up at a place called Lansborough, uh, Sunshine Coast. You ever been up there? Uh yes, Sunshine Coast. I love it. Have you been to that church? I have not. Well, I was the pastor and the youth pastor there, and she's a little baby girl, and she was cute too. Oh dear. cute little baby girl. Uh come from a big family in my church. Well, I was down at Tasmania Camp just last year. Mm-hmm. You know what camp is? Yeah, I was wondering what camp you're talking about. It's it's when in Adventism, in the Adventist church in Australia, different regions get together once a year. They all come together. We camp in tents and caravans. Got it. Have big revival meetings. It's fabulous. So I was down there speaking at for the youth, actually, in Tasmania camp. Big shout out to the youth in Tasmania. And guess who was speaking to the teens? Really? Anna B. Good honour. I hadn't seen it from the time she was a three month little old baby, year old baby. And and here she is, and I found out she was a singer. And she sings this beautiful song from Gloria and Bill Gaither, Because He Lives. And when I heard it, I thought, oh, we've got to put this on the program. Thank you, Anna Beedon.
8: And his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds a future and life is worth the living just because he lives how sweet to hold
1: program he is the president or the leader of the Seventh Day Adventist Church in the South Pacific now I'm one of I don't know hundreds of pastors in the South Pacific he is actually the guy right at the very top who leads this church and helps set its direction and I just want to welcome you to the program today Glenn. Hey, thanks, Lloyd. Happy to be with you. Now, I I want to talk to you in a minute about your work as a leader of the church in the South Pacific. I think some people would see that as being similar to a a bishop, an archbishop, maybe even a cardinal. I I don't even think that's accurate. You're accurate. You're actually called our president. But before we go there, I'd like to talk to you about your personal life for a bit. You're married with kids and and I think even grandkids.
9: Yeah, that's right, uh, Lloyd, yeah, been married to Pam for 35 uh, years and lived in every state and territory except Northern Territory um, and lived in Papua New Guinea and Fiji as well. We've got uh, and been in different ministry, um, pastoral ministry and all of that, and um, and, yeah, three adult children, um, Amy and Scott. Amy's our daughter. She's a pastor in Western Australia. Scott's emergency
1: nurse. Oh, I didn't know twins. that. I didn't know that. You've got yes. a daughter who's a pastor. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yep. And they've got twins. Yeah,
9: twin boys who started school a couple of weeks ago and then, then a younger one. And then in Adelaide, our youngest is Travis, who is also a pastor, and his wife, Chelsea, and they've got a little little girl, less than a year old. And then Megan and Elliot, who live in Sydney, and Megan works for Open Heart International and Adventist Development Relief Agency and she and Elliot are about to have, and he works for Bible Society and Chelsea was a teacher and stay home mum and they're about to
1: give birth to a little daughter at Sydney Adventist Hospital this now, month. Uh, exciting times. You, you were, I, I think I picked up on your wife's Facebook uh, page that you actually had a grandchild right in the middle of COVID-19 and couldn't get down to them. Is that right?
9: Yeah, yeah, young Taylor in Adelaide three months before
1: we saw her. Yeah, well before that, the borders opened up. Well, that would have been tough. Well, there you go. You know, I didn't know that about you—that you had two children who were pastors. How long have you been a pastor? Uh thirty-five years. So you graduated what 19? Uh, nineteen? Nineteen no end of uh 85 from Avondale
9: University College now and then did pasturing work um, in Queensland Tasmania uh Victoria and Western Australia and then Fiji and I grew up in PNG so got a fair um <laughs> Threats and, and, yeah, so pastoral work and then some leadership and administrative work as, as well.
1: Now, you are the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and what is known as the South Pacific Division. For those of our, uh, of our listeners who don't know what that means, just tell us a little bit of what it means to be the president of the South Pacific Division.
9: Yeah, well, it's overseeing all of the Seventh-day Adventist activities in 17 countries of the Pacific. And so we've got uh, medical uh, clinics and hospitals. We've got uh, health care, um, I mean, health food um, operations. Uh, we also have aged care and... Um, Schools of all all kinds, from pre-primary through to university, um, and then you know church work, ADRA, Adventist Development Relief Agency, um, in disasters and development. So yeah, there's a whole lot, and the countries you know as small as say and and Nauru and uh, the bigger countries are Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea and then there's a lot of other Pacific countries, Solomons, Fiji, Vanuatu, Tonga, Samoa, Kiribati, Tuvalu and lots of cultures. We've got Micronesian, Polynesian, Melanesian, Maori, Aboriginal um, and then a whole lot of the recent immigrants, mainly to Australia
1: and New Zealand. So it's a pretty diverse role. Now, I'm interested as you're talking there, is the Adventist Church in the South Pacific, is it a big church, a, a middle church or a little church?
9: Uh, in the South Pacific, it is a big church. If, if you say, like in Papua New Guinea, um, Solomon Islands, uh, Vanuatu, Fiji, um, yeah, it is significant numbers of the population. Um, you know, up to, 15 to 10% of the the population. People really know Seventh-day Adventists, mainly because of our medical work, disaster work and education. And education has made a huge difference and many of the government leaders, many of the uh, government departments, political leaders, judges, uh, lawyers, business people, are, are Seventh-day Adventists because of the education system.
1: Actually, I think we've had even Prime Ministers out there in the Pacific who have been Seventh-day Yeah, Adventists. well, curr-
9: yeah. currently uh, Manasseh Songavari in Solomon Islands is the Prime Minister. I know uh, Manasseh. I've worshipped with him in church, and I've done the same with James Marapi in Papua New Guinea. He's the current Prime Minister, and I've worshipped with him on a Sabbath uh, in Papua New Guinea How about
1: Australia and New Zealand Tell us about the church there
9: Yeah look I mean that's The, the church when it came to the Pacific Actually we started in Polynesia um, In in Pitcan um, And then spread to New Zealand first And then to to Australia And then from out of that The kind of a missionary effort grew Which focused on the Pacific And um and yeah, we've done better in our um, efforts because I think the needs were 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 there in the Pacific than we have in Australia and New Zealand. But um, yeah, we we still, um, as some people like to say, than some of the the big fast food restaurants, we still have more churches than they have in their chain, as in restaurants in their chain. So. Yeah. So we're obviously making some some impact um, in general society in Australia and New Zealand.
1: If you look at the Australian Church because we're specifically talking to an Australian audience here on the radio, um, the Adventist Church in Australia, what do you think for the average Aussie will be the most famous ministry or or, or famous department or uh, that Adventist has? If they're in Sydney,
9: it would be, uh, the Sydney Adventist Hospital is very well known for its medical care and to be a sand baby is quite a, uh, you know, a big, a big thing. Mm. And, and then the, probably the health food work, um, from being the first to, to make, uh, things like peanut butter and, um, marmite, um, which is now Vegemite and then wheat pigs. Um, in Australia because the church has a focus on health yeah. um, we believe God created us to make the most of our life and, and, and health and food and our diet is part of that and so good healthy food is part of our mandate and uh, We've been manufacturing that in Australia and New Zealand, and now exporting all throughout the Pacific and all throughout the world. Mm. That as part of ministry.
1: Now the the Sand Hospital. Let's just talk about that for a moment. Uh, I think it's a wonderful hospital, but I'm very biased because my youngest daughter was born in the Sand, and my oldest daughter graduated a couple of years ago from Adventist, uh, Avondale University College. In fact, she was the first the first year to graduate from Avondale Adventist University College. Did I get that right? Um, and she, she's a nurse, so she trained. She did a lot of her practical, uh, training at the sand. And so, uh, uh and then my grandfather was actually a nurse at the sand. My auntie was a nurse in the sand. Uh, I think there's a lot of us, and not just Adventists, a lot of people in Sydney who really do I, I identify with Sydney Adventist Hospital. And then there's Sanitarium, of course. I eat. I don't know about you, but I eat four wheat beaks for breakfast with so good and honey. Every morning. My wife says I should eat two, but I eat four. Um,
9: yeah, I, well, I, I, I've, I've gone to two, and I do have the, uh, the So Good with oh. with it, definitely. Is that the chocolate
1: So Good, or is that the... the no, 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 no. The unsweetened, at the moment, it's unsweetened almond. Yeah, actually, funny you say that. I'm moving to almond too, but sanitarium put out some delicious food and, and it's amazing how many people actually don't realize that the Adventist church and sanitarium are, are, are linked. Do you, do you have anything to do with the governance of Sydney Adventist hospital and sanitarium or is it more just you oversee from afar? How does that actually work?
9: Yeah, look, um, we, we, we oversee from afar. They've got good management systems in place. Um, Yes, I I connect with the leaders um, on a regular basis to support them. I chair the Adventist Healthcare Limited Board and I'm part of the uh, Sanitarium Health and
1: Wellbeing Group. Can I ask you some quick questions about Adventism? Sure. If I asked you to tell me briefly who Adventists are, what would you say?
9: They are a people of of hope that want to inspire people to hope and to well-being. We believe that that hope comes through Jesus Christ who came to this earth and gave his life uh, for us to deal with our sin, our evil and death. He conquered death and he's coming back soon and he's got everything sorted and we just need to to believe and he, in believing he'll change our life and give us a, a better life. Okay, so that, that that's a real nutshell. Good, good.
1: If I asked you to tell me briefly what Adventists believe, the key beliefs, just quickly, what would you say?
9: Well, Se- Seventh Day Adventists, uh, putting it in uh, the name, um, Seventh Day is the uh, Saturday in our part of the world, and is the Jewish Sabbath, and it's the biblical Sabbath, mm. and so we have rest on on the Sabbath on on Saturday. And then Adventist is that Jesus is going to come back. Mm-hmm. Jesus gives rest, and he gives rest to remind us on the, to have a weekly rest, mm-hmm. and he's coming back to give us a permanent rest. Mm-hmm. And then we're part of the, the church, which is a body of people that work together to do good, just, to, to help people because we believe that that what that's what God's about, and those who want to connect with what we do, we're we're very happy about that.
1: Are Adventist Protestants?
9: Protestants, yes. We we protest, or or you know, the things of what the the Protestants talked about: uh, giving glory to God, believing in the Bible as the only uh, root and and rule of faith and practice. And we are saved by faith, and faith alone, they're all Protestant um, hallmarks, and, and it's also by grace alone. We we can't do anything to earn our um, good standing with God or, or what he's going to give to us. It's a, a free gift. So faith alone, grace alone, Bible alone, and glory to God alone, all very
1: Protestant, all very Adventist. Are Adventists a church-going people? Do they go to church every week yeah. or is it not important? What, how do you see that? Yeah, look, I think gathering together
9: and, and the, the Bible and New Testament says, you know, to gather together to, to encourage each other, um, to build each other up. And, uh, yeah, so we, we worship on the day of, of rest or the biblical Sabbath. Um, rest day and part of the rest is you know time with family and time out in, in nature and bush and beach and all of that but it's also time with with god and time to worship and that can be individually but definitely um communally and we we have have churches and meeting groups and places been a bit tough through covid but um, uh people have been meeting on zoom and connecting um that way and when when they're able, they, they get together and worship and uh, that includes Bible study, includes Bible reading, singing,
1: uh, worshipping God and some kind of physical message. Um, is anyone able to go and visit and worship in an Adventist church or is it a closed community?
9: No, we are an open community. Um, anybody is welcome. Um and I was just recently uh in Adelaide and was part of a, a big group and I met somebody who was there um for one of the first times and was a listener to
4: Faith F M.
1: So if you're out there listening and you're not an Adventist and you're wondering what it's like to worship in an Adventist church, you're as our leader, you're well, as our leader here, Jesus is our leader, but you know, as our leader in the South Pacific, yeah. you're saying just go. Is that right?
9: Yeah. Yeah, and, and people are. And I mean, I'm part of a local church where I live on the central coast, uh, of New South Wales. And, um, yeah, we, we see new people coming every, every couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's, it's good. And some come and have a look and say, yeah, that was okay. But, and there's some who come and say, what yeah, do you think we can and, do to look, be more relevant? I, I think our, our message is relevant. Every time, most times that you know I've connected with with new people who you know come into church or or whatever, they 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 find it they find it relevant. So I think we've got a a good relevant message. Um, It 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 makes sense. It's it's holistic. It gives value to life. It and there's ideas about the future and. Certainty, so I think all of that is is good. I think Aussies like to see Christianity in action. Yeah. So if you are a Christian and Jesus has changed you, what are you doing to help others? And so I think local churches should have service projects, and local groups should be be doing doing something that's benefiting the community.
1: Do you have a, and I know you do, but I'm just interested, do you have a vision for the church you lead?
9: Yeah, look, I, I certainly do. Um, I I do want us to, to have that impact, inspiring hope and well-being. Mm. And Jesus, you know, when Jesus comes into a person's life, like if you read in the Bible the stories of Jesus, Everybody who met Jesus' life was changed. Now some didn't, you know, like we have free choice, they, they went their way. And, but others who chose to go along with it, they, they saw their lives improve. Whether it be through physical healing, emotional, spiritual healing, you know, forgiveness and all of that. And, and I believe that that is what we want. That, that the church can be this, this place that brings it's kind of like uh, the fountain of hope, of grace, of forgiveness, of, of mercy, giving people a new chance and a, a, a new life. And out of that comes really good well-being, um, health in
1: all its um, aspects. I really appreciate you coming and speaking to us on the program, Glenn. Um, I know you're very busy. You travel a lot. You don't get a lot of time at home with your wife. By the way, does your wife travel with you or are you on your own most of the time? I look-
9: yeah, look, yeah, sometimes she has and because of covid I've never spent so many consecutive nights uh with her in all of our marriage and we're <laughs> we're still
1: doing okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord <laughs> That's a that's a wonderful thing Yes uh, I, I think some of our wives Have had a great shock with us pastors As we've been home in evenings And times where they're not used to us being around But yeah it's been good hasn't it um, yeah. That part of it Well, well look God bless you and your ministry um, I, I hope and pray things continue to move well And the church moves forward And uh, Maybe we'll get you on the program again Sometime in the future And we can talk about some other things From your perspective As a leader of the church. Thank you, Glenn
0: Townend.
9: Hey, be happy to, Lloyd. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, God bless you and all the the listeners of Faith FM.
0: You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
1: It's not often you get to talk to the boss, Hunty. That's right. And I enjoyed that. You did very well. A funny thing is uh, we've actually been in ministry similar times and we're similar ages, but somehow I seem to have missed him through the years. We've never really worked together, but the little bit I've had to have with him, um, he's a good leader. Mm, Amen. uh, And we're blessed to have him. Now, you've spent some time working all over the world, is that right? I have. Tell us a few places you've been. Oh, my favorite places: Europe, USA. You worked in Europe? Philippines. Yeah, yeah, many times. And the USA, a lot. Have you lived? Have you been based living only in Australia, or have you been? Uh, I
2: had a job for a while where I was based out of a suitcase. I really loved that. And you travelled all over the yeah, world. Yeah, stuff. Like... I hope Channel
1: cool. International. That was great. Yeah. yeah. Now I've been working with you for probably I don't know Ten? Ten years, ten, eleven, something like that. Yep. It seems a long time, doesn't it? Seems like a life sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Before you work with me. You had a mate in the United States that you used to work with. Yeah, Warren Judd. What a top bloke. And he
2: was, you were working in media over there? Yeah, yeah. He got me started in television, actually. Now, he has a daughter who sings.
1: Yes. Shaney, Shani Judd, Shani Deal. And she's a part of a group that's very dear to your heart. Very dear. Faith First. And they've got our next song. So because you know Shaney. Yes. Because her dad was one of your best mates, sadly yes. he passed away a little while ago. He did. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce this song, bro. Well, this is a great song. It's
2: called Little Is Much.
3: In the harvest field, now ripen, there's a work for all to do.
6: And hark the master's voice. Is calling to the harvest,
3: calling you. Does the place you're called to labor seem
10: so small or little known? Well, it is great if God is in it. And Sake his own will
6: as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it. it.
5: And when the conflict here has ended and our race on earth is run, well, he will say, if you've been faithful.
1: Like that, Andrew. Wow. That's faith first. Actually, the girl singing, who had the vocal part in that, is yep, That's Shaney. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful song. Thank you, Hunty, for finding that song for us, choosing it and putting it on the programme. What a pleasure. Okay, we're gonna do a little Bible study now. You like Bible study? I do. <clears throat> do you do Bible study a lot or Yep? Yeah, I try yeah, to actually I try get to do it daily. Yeah, I do too. I try to get into the Bible daily. One of the big questions. In fact, I'm going to ask you the biggest question I reckon any person can ever ask. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. It doesn't what you believe. You can be an atheist. This question is probably the most important question you'll ever ask. Really? You ready? Yep. Who is Jesus? One wow. one sentence. Wow. Who is Jesus? Uh,
2: a historical figure who actually is God.
1: Okay, so you're, you're you're you would say he's a historical figure who is God?
2: Because I believe two thousand years ago he was here on this earth. Okay, and he's also God. So if I
1: were asked that question, yes, who is Jesus? What would you say? I would to? give a similar answer to you. He is God. Yep. that would probably be my. Initial answer, but then I would also say he is Messiah. Amen. And over the next couple of programs, we're going to look at Jesus, who he is, and why he's made such an impact on the world. But because we're going to go into Bible study, Hunty. Yep. I want to pray. Let's. Is that okay? Of course. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we're about to talk about Jesus. The biggest question we can ever ask: Who is he? as we open our Bible, Lord, for just a few minutes, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit, who represents Jesus here on earth, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, I pray that he will be with us. He'll open our ears Mm -hmm. and our eyes and our minds so we'll understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know you read the Bible a lot, hunty. I work for you (laughs) Actually I think you were reading the Bible A long time before you came and worked Of course He doesn't Don't be fooled listeners He doesn't (laughs) work for me He works with me I like that We both work for the same guy We do And it's not the president That's right It's God Amen We work for God Um, Other than Jesus now, you might have a different answer than me on this. And by the way, we don't practice these Bible nope. studies. Nothing's pre-recorded. Nothing's practiced. No, this, is, <laughs> this is live. This <laughs> is live. And he's not ready for these questions. But who do you reckon would be the most influential person in the Bible? I know we can have different answers Ooh. on this one other than Jesus. Ah, oh, I've got to go with maybe Peter. So p- for you, Peter is the big influencer in scripture. For, uh, for I, like, you, I like Peter. You know, for all of us, it's someone different. Yeah. You know who I am touched by Who's other that? than Jesus? Is that
2: well, Paul? Paul, I was Paul's my second choice.
1: Yeah, Paul the yeah. apostle. He has had more impact on me other than Jesus than anybody else in the Bible. I like this guy. Yep. He did not know who Jesus was. Amazing thing is, true. Paul was alive when Jesus was on the earth somewhere, and he was in Jerusalem somewhere somehow. He misses Jesus. Now, it, I cannot understand. We went to Jerusalem, oh, about a year ago. remember yep. that. I cannot understand how you can be in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus was there and miss him. That's right. you remember when we were in Jerusalem, Hunty? There's just thousands and thousands of tourists there, and they're there because of who? Jesus. Hmm. And this is 2,000 years after the story. Paul's in Jerusalem. He misses Jesus. I don't know how that happens. And so he has this incredible conversion experience on the way to Damascus. He's an enemy of Jesus. He's going there to take the disciples of Jesus out. And he just has, you've got to read it sometime in the book of Acts. He just has this incredible conversion experience. He becomes the greatest missionary disciple of Jesus Christ in the early church. And he wrote a letter. It's called Titus. Now we're looking at the question, Hunty. Who is Jesus? And I'm going to give you the context around this. He's talking about the coming of Jesus, how Jesus would come back to the earth to save us. And this is what Paul, the greatest, in my opinion, my view, I get that, the greatest uh, apostle in the Bible, this is what he has to say about who Jesus is. We're only looking at one thing today, Mm -hmm. who is Jesus? Titus, if you have a Bible at home, or you're on your phone and you can get to a Bible app. This would be fantastic if you could look at this. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Hunter, you want to read that for me,
2: mate? Yeah, sure. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be
1: revealed. Who is Jesus called there? Our mm. great yep. God, God and Saviour. And Saviour. Our great God, Jesus is God. God. Christianity is unique here. Mm. Now, I mean, this has no disrespect of the other religions, but if you go and ask a Muslim, and we met a lot of Muslims when we were over in you did. Israel, uh, we met a lot of Muslims when we were in Jordan. Good people, weren't they? Absolutely. In fact, we had a Muslim driver. Do you remember he was, that? He was awesome. He was with us for, what, almost two weeks? Yep. And he was a great guy. Great guy. We were able to get some real insights into Israel and um, Jordan, and even the West Bank. And uh, if you ask a Muslim who Jesus is, they'll say he was a good guy. But That's they right. won't say he's God. You're going to ask a Buddhist or a Hindu, they'll tell you he was a tremendous guy good man, but he was not God. If you even ask a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon, they'll both say a tremendous person has made a great impact on the earth, but he is not God. But if you ask a Christian, auntie who Jesus is, the answer will always be, he is God. Amen. He is God.
0: Next text,
1: mm-hmm. Hebrews. Yep. A lot of people argue about this particular question: Who is Jesus? And I always like to take them here to Hebrews chapter one and verse eight. Context: I believe Paul again wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, there's got to be a lot of people out there who'll argue that with me, but I reckon he wrote the book of Hebrews. Remember, the question is: Who, who is Jesus? Is Jesus? So we already know that Paul says that Jesus is God, God because he yeah. said, we're waiting for Jesus, our great God and Saviour, to come back and get us. This here context is actually the Father speaking. Now, Christians believe in a triune God. Do you know what that means, Hunty? Tri Three. Do we believe in three gods? One, One God. God. One God expressed in mm, three, three people. We'll yeah. talk about that another day. Yeah. So this is the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yep. This is God the Father. You can't go any higher. This is God the Father. And this is what he says about Jesus. Now, this is the one text. Look, I'll tell you a story. When I first started ministry on the Gold Coast, did you know that's where I started ministry on the Gold Coast? Did you know that? Actually, yes. I lived. I couldn't believe it, man. Quick story. Yep. I was the last... Person picked up in my class at college <laughs> to become a pastor. In fact, I don't know whether I should tell this story on live radio. Go on. Do oh, it. Dear. Do it. The theology, the head of the theology department, that's the guy in charge of ministers, called me into his office. You know this story. <laughs> I do. Now, the problem was this. I had been studying and had a degree in education with a Theology, Bible, major. So I'd pretty much done the same courses that the ministers had, but I'd missed a couple out. Yep. I had had this call to be a pastor all my life, and the theology head of the theology department calls me and he looks at me and says, Lloyd, I want to tell you something. <laughs> you are not going to be a pastor. I was very polite, mm-hmm. but I said, that is God's call, not oh yours. Goodness, I love it. <laughs> Can I say, not mine either. <laughs> Bottom line is, I got a job as a volunteer pastor. Everybody else had a job but me. President rings me up, very kind man, uh, Pastor Cahoon. President, do you know him? I do. lovely yeah, he, man. He's a lovely guy. President of South Queensland says, I'll give you a go, but you're going to be a volunteer for a year. So that means, you know what it means in you volunteer, no it's money. I couldn't get a Bible study. Man, I'm a third, I was a third generation pastor. My grandfather's a pastor, my father's a pastor. Here I am, I didn't have a Bible study. And then two guys came to my door knocking. (laughs) I opened the door. Remember, I couldn't get a Bible study. I'm three months into ministry. I'm thinking, oh, dear, this is terrible. These guys, two of them come and knock at my door. You know what they were? I can guess. Jehovah Witnesses. Witnesses. Yep. So I invited them in and I thought, I'm going to mark these down in my report to the president as a Bible study. Yep. Well, that's honest, isn't it? That's true true. They had a Bible study. Now, they, we argue back and forth about this one question, who is Jesus? Because they wouldn't acknowledge that Jesus was God. Good men and women. Those guys, you know, they go to, and by mm. the way, listeners, if some JWs or some Mormons knock at your door, you don't have to agree with them. You don't even have to invite them in. But, oh, please, be polite. Yeah. Be gentle. Offer them a drink. Because they are out there doing the hard yards. Yep. And I took, them, I took my two Jehovah Witnesses. My two Jehovah Witness friends to this text, it's a clincher. You can't escape it. You cannot escape this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. This is the Father. You don't go higher than the Father. Now, by the way, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're all equal. Yep. But this is the Father who who everybody pretty much acknowledges. No one questions that the Father is God. No one. Not Muslims, not Jehovah Witnesses, not Mormons. Everybody acknowledges that the Father is God. And this is what he says about the son This is what he says about Jesus This is one of the most incredible Bible texts Okay
2: Hebrews 1, eight. But to the son he says Your throne, O God Endures forever and ever You rule with a scepter of justice
1: So the father says to the son So Your the father throne. says to yep. Jesus What does he say? Your, Your throne,
2: throne o, God, o God Endures forever and ever
1: so you either are God yep. or you are not God. You can't be part God. You can't be half God. And here you've got the Father saying, your throne, O God. So who do you think the Father thinks Jesus is? God. It's he thinks Jesus is God. So you've got an argument in the Bible here building. Uh, you've got Paul. Paul. The greatest apostle, again, in my opinion. He says Jesus is God. And now you've got the Father. So we've gone right to the very top. Yep. He says Jesus is God. Little story in John chapter 20. Yep. Now, while we go there, I'll just give you the context. Here you've got Jesus. Have you ever seen that movie, Risen? I haven't.
9: You have, actually.
1: Um, Maybe you have at church. Yes, we We showed it once, didn't we? I told you this is live, this program. (laughs) (laughs) If we'd practice that. That's right. (laughs) You've seen it. I've seen it. Yes. Great movie. It's the story of Jesus' resurrection. Yep. And it took my breath away when Jesus comes through the door Mm. and the disciples saw him for the first time, you know what I did, Hunty, and I. This, I don't know. Maybe I am feeling emotional now. When I first saw that scene, I know it's only a movie, but it was taking me back to the story. I, I kind of just started to weep. Yep. Because can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to finally realise that Jesus had risen mm. and that He was who He said He, he was. was. Yep. This is God, the resurrected God. Coming into the room and saying, I am here, I have come back as I said I would. So the disciples, some of them, see Jesus. How do you think they feel? Very excited. Yep. They're running around telling everyone, We've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus, but there's one guy. His name is Thomas. Yep. Uh, if I had had a son, I would have called him Isaiah. Yep. Isaiah's my favorite. Prophets. Author in all the like Bible Isaiah the Messianic prophet He's a prophet who lived 800 years before Jesus And he just talks about Jesus from the beginning of that book to the end If you've never read it, take the time So here you've got uh, uh So what would I call my son? Isaiah? Yep Or? Thomas Thomas I called Don't my you? son Thomas Did you?
2: My son's middle name is Thomas I never
1: knew that Yeah well, my son, if I'd had, well, I've got, I've got 2 stepsons. You do. But if I'd had a natural-born son, I would have called him Isaiah Thomas Grollman. Nice. I reckon that goes, eh? Nice.
2: But if you IT Grollemond, to <laughs> my you,
1: <laughs> you've already ruined it, haven't you? <laughs> uh, tell me this. If, if you think of the word or the name Thomas, what do you put before it? Oh, always one word, doubting. Doubting Thomas Of course Well here's the story The disciples come to Thomas And they say Hey Thomas We've seen Jesus He's been resurrected He's back And you know what Thomas says Nah no. He's not I don't believe it Don't believe it yep. Yeah. Unless I can touch him Unless I, I can proof. see him yeah. Unless I can feel mm. him And a lot of us are like that today too Aren't we I don't really believe it Unless I can touch him And feel him I don't believe it Well this is Thomas mm. Well then Jesus appears to Thomas Yep Read the story to us, Hunty. Eight days later, the disciples... By, by the way, before you do, it's John chapter 20, verse 26, 26 to verse...
2: 28, yeah. Mm. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and look at my hands. Put your hand here into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now, I like the new
1: King James version. Read the next verse. Yep. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. I like the King James version, the way it does it to it. It's so... We, we won't go there because we're running out of time. So we'll stick with this. Yep. Verse 29, what does he say? Then Jesus told him... Verse twenty. No, go back. Verse 29. My Lord and my God. What does Thomas call him? My Lord... And my God. Now, if you go to Revelation, and, and it's interesting, chapter 19, John, the apostle, the same guy who writes this, he sees an angel and he falls on the ground in worship. And the angel actually literally grabs him and pulls him up and says, Don't worship me, man. Don't right. worship me. I'm just a fellow servant. Yep. But here's Thomas. He hasn't seen Jesus. And Jesus is resurrected. And I reckon this is for us today. Right. And 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 he sees, and Jesus finally appears to Thomas. And Thomas walks in and he touches him and he feels him and he sees the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side and he's so overcome and he's so overwhelmed that he falls on his knees and he cries out, my Lord and my God. Now what does Jesus say next verse, verse 30? Uh, then, Jesus,
2: then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me.
1: Believe what? Believe that Jesus was resurrected and God. Amen. Thomas confirmed that Jesus was God. When John was with an angel and he fell down to worship him, the angel pulled him up. Yep. But when Thomas is with Jesus and he falls down to worship him and he acknowledges him as Lord and God, Jesus says, blessed Are you because you have seen and believed? But then he says to you, Auntie, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still still believe. Amen.
10: There is a Jesus, God's own Son, Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, Jesus, my i Lamb of God Messiah
1: Jesus, we acknowledge that you are God, the saviour of the world. Bless us with your presence. In your name, amen. My name is Lloyd Groleman, I'm the Aussie pastor, and I love you. But God, Jesus, he loves you a whole lot more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the
0: Aussie pastor If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, always to support us, go to findjesus.tv.